After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them any more as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, Sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. 
and this decree, Sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, Sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, Sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your own forever and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, Keep forever the promise you have made conserving your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, Sovereign Lord, have spoken and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Good morning. The second reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 5 to 14. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand 
until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? I love Maddie. Um, he's got the best apps, if you ever say. Um, shouldn't say that. Um, I'll tell you what's cool about Maddie. This morning, uh, when I came in, Dave Rogerson does these amazing paintings, and I saw a painting of Maddie and Jazz on their wedding day, and I was there, and it was how many years ago? Two? Three? How many? When did you get married? Five years ago. Something like that. Approximately. Woo! Woo! All the ladies going, my husband knows that too. My husband knows that too. Um, on his wedding day, what did Maddie and Jazz do? They made promises to each other. Um, and actually, on Friday, Phoebe and uh, Jared um, made promises to each other from our 6 p.m. conversation. The Murphy and the, the Noakes clan came together. Yesterday, uh, Sarah Kinstead made a promise to the Anglican Church that as she was deaconized. Um, on Thursday, I made a promise to Stephen Sharon's kids, I'd find them some masking tape um, to fix their remote control car. Promises. We all make them. Some are significant, some are less significant, in all significance. Do you ever make promises? Have you made some promises? Have you kept them? Are you good at keeping problems? <laughs> I saw someone's eyebrows go up. Yes, no. We break them. I break promises. I want us, in thinking, as we think about promises, I want us this morning, as we come to this passage from David, to think about Christianity. Because if you're new to Christianity, or if you've been around for a while, let me give you one of the core parts of what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian is about trusting in God's promises. Being a Christian is about hearing, coming to the point of hearing and understand God is making promises. Promises about who God is, what God's done in the past, what God's going to do, how God's at work. And for us, we hear them. And being a Christian is saying, I'm actually going to trust. I'm going to believe them. I'm going to trust them. And I'm going to live in light of the promises that are made. Some of these promises are really easy to believe, are easy to take on. Sometimes they're really hard. Sometimes in different seasons they're hard. I remember last week we had CJ, remember from Compassion, shared an amazing testimony. But he said something, he said, what did he say? He said, God is good. God is good. All the time. Yeah, he made this statement, God is good. And we know that, like we can back that up with Scripture in Psalm 80, uh, 34, it says that. But does it always, that's a promise of God, I'm good. Does it always feel like that? Sometimes, maybe not, sometimes. I know that there's people in our church who are going through cancer treatments, going through horrific medical uh, journeys. I know that, you know, sometimes it feels like the cost of living is going, God, can I trust that you're good? Can I trust you good in that? When relationships are broken or when I'm trying to share Jesus with my friends and uh, I'm saying, God's good. And they're, well, is he? I don't feel it. When God makes promises, 
But sometimes God's promises are hard to put our trust in. Sometimes, and I don't know, you know where you're at this morning, when you hear God's promises, you go, yeah, I embrace that fully. Or do you go, oh, I don't know, is that, is that true? We're going to have a look at one of the greatest promises in the Scripture this morning, in the Bible. This is like the, almost like the, one of the key milestone markers in the Bible, a very significant passage that actually helps us understand who Christ is. Um, and I'm going to pray that God's going to speak to us by his word about promises. But would you pray with me as well? Father, we're going to think this morning about a promise that you make to David. Father, I pray that this morning would encourage us as we think about the promises you make to trust you. Help us to do that. Help us to trust you more. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I've loved going through uh, 1 and 2 Samuel. Um, I was really blown away. There is so, by the way, the passage we're going to look at is so massive, it should take about 12 sermons. Um, we're not going to do that, don't worry, um, this morning, but it's huge, and we're going to touch the surface today. One of the things I've learned about going through Samuel is, Samuel is a sort of book you could read as a story, as like a chronological thing, but I encourage you, encourage us, think of it uh, as a theology book. Uh, not to use too big a word, but to go, when I read through Samuel, what is the writer telling me about who God is? Why does he mention stuff and not mention other stuff? What does it tell us about who God is? We're going to learn about God. And we're going to do that starting with David. I want you to take your mind back, all the way back to David's day in Jerusalem. David is the king. He's finally got a a palace made of cedar. That's the top uh, building material around. I'm imagining a big log cabin or something like that, like a massive one. And he is in his palace. He's in a good space. He's looking out and he can see the tent. And what's in the tent? The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the box that contained uh, the tablets uh, that the commandments were written on, some, a jar of manna, some other things, golden, got angels over it, and it signified God's presence with his people. And David knows that that Ark of the Covenant's in a tent and he's in a palace. And David's like, hold on, this ain't too good. What am I doing in a palace when God Almighty's in a tent? And he says, he's chatting away to his mate, Nathan the prophet. He's like, Nathan, I've been thinking about this. Why don't we build him? Why don't we do something about this? Uh, we read in verse 2, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan says, knowing that David's a man of action, look, whatever, you, whatever you've got in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. Nathan's a prophet. What should a prophet do? Prophet should probably go ask God first, yeah? Uh, he doesn't. He just says, yeah, go ahead, David, go do it. I know what that's like. Do you ever, just as an aside, but do you ever go, I know what the Word of God says. I don't need to go and actually seek it or read it. I'm, I've been a Christian for a while, I know. Just go ahead, go ahead, move along. It wasn't a bad thing that uh, David was thinking that's a good idea. Um, you know, there's precedent for that in Deuteronomy that, you know, there would be this dwelling place uh, uh, for God, you know, uh, they're in a time of rest. You know, it's not a bad thing. 
But is it what God wants? And so God turns up that night to Nathan the prophet. And this is what he says. The Lord speaks, says, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with the tent of my dwelling. Whenever I've moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers when I commanded uh, to shepherd my people Israel, why haven't you built me a house? The Lord is correcting David. It's not quite a rebuke. He's not upset, but he's saying, I haven't needed a temple. I've moved around uh, with the people of God. That's what I'll do. That David, are you thinking that I need a temple because we've somehow reached the pinnacle? We've, we've reached uh, here this time of, is this the culmination? You coming to the throne? David, I have so much more planned for you. So much more. This is what, uh, in verse 8, he tells David, and he says, starts the sentence with, this is what the Lord Almighty says. That means prick up the ears. This is like a presidential decree, like this is God saying, this be very clear, God is about to lay something down. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Firstly, verse 8, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. David, you want to build me a house? Remember how I've worked in your life. You were a shepherd boy, and we've seen that as we went through 1 Samuel. You were a shepherd. Look how I have made you a king. I've raised you up. Look how when we read through 2 Samuel, even last week, you know, David was so sad and killed the other guy because he tried to take the credit for killing Saul. David was not trying to usurp the throne. You know, David had his chance. It was God who provided, who raised David out of just tending the sheep to be the very king of Israel. It was God who allowed David to kill Goliath. It was God who's done all this. David, look what I've done. I'm the one who's done all that. He goes on in verse 9. I've been with you wherever you've gone. I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now, I'm going to make your name great, like the greatest names of men on the earth. And I'll provide for my people Israel and plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed my leaders over Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies." David, you want to build me a house? I'm going to build a house. I've been with you. I've done all this. Now, I'm going to make your name great. Now, when we read this, it's very interesting. If you're a Bible nerd, you might know Genesis 12. Genesis 12 uh, is a number of years before, and it's, it's right at the beginning of the Bible, and it's where God just like this, makes an extremely important promise to Abraham. And I'll take us back there, the next slide. Uh, this is many years before, and Abraham is the one whose kids will go on to be the nation of Israel. Right then, God turns up to Abraham and says this, 
I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God gave this great promise to Abraham that through Abraham, the world is going to be blessed. And when you compare those two, you see what the Lord is saying to David's promise. He's picking up on these promises given to Abraham. He's given this great patriarch of Israel, Abraham's promises, and he's saying to David, these promises that I've given to Abraham have partly come to pass, but they're also now going to be continued promises that David, I am going to give to you. And so in these first verses, looking back, uh, you will be, you know, I'm going to make your name great. In the way that I've made Abraham's name great, I'm going to make your name great. Uh, I'm going to give you rest from your enemies, just like uh, he's going to bless those who bless you and curses you. I will curse all people on earth be blessed through you. What God is doing firstly is saying, David, the promise I'm about to give you is in line with the promise I've given to Abraham. I'm putting you uh, in that same line. And then he comes to the promise. This is, as I said, one of the most important passages uh, in the Old Testament. It's a game changer. This is what God says. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. David, you want to build me a house? Eh, eh, eh. Have a look again. David, I am going to establish a house for you. And it's not going to be bricks and mortar house. It's going to be more than that. You had in mind something. I have in mind much more than you can imagine. Does that ever feel like us sometimes? I have in mind, I want to do this. God's got much more than we can imagine. He says to David, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'm going to be his father. He's going to be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Wow. Look at this promise God is making to David. He's saying that from David's offspring, he's making this big prophecy about what's going to happen. What is God promising to do? Here's the question. Who is he talking about? Who is God talking about here to David? Who is he talking about? Who is this offspring that's going to succeed him? Is it one of his kids? Is it Absalom or uh, Adonijah, Amnon? Is it Solomon? Who is this king? How is it going to be kings forever? Is it like... You know, David's son is going to have a king and that's going to be a king and this kingdom is going to, you know, like the house of Windsor, it's just going to go on forever and ever, but not just for a couple of thousand years, like forever and ever. Like, is that what it's going to be? You know, how is it going to be this kingdom's going to last forever? Who's he talking about? Is he talking about David's sons or somebody else? 
For us, with the benefit of hind legs, do we, I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, do we go, is he talking about Jesus? Because we can read ahead in our Bibles. One of the things to understand about biblical prophecy is what, God will, of, what will often happen is that prophecy is often answered in two ways. There's often an immediate implication and a distant implication. And what we see in here is a bit of both. So we see there in the immediate implication, there is this offspring, uh, but also he can do wrong. He'll be punished. Well, we know Jesus... Uh, wasn't punished for his own sin, but we do know the following kings, in fact, the line of kings after Solomon goes downhill and each of them is disciplined down to the point that there's an exile. We know they get punished for the things they do wrong. Jesus wasn't. So at some level, that does relate to, to David's human offspring, his, his, uh, his kids and his kids' kids. Um, but at other levels... We also see this distant future, this language of this kingdom that will last forever. Who is this future descendant of David? Will it be a kingship that lasts forever? Will it be a king that lasts forever? I love in verse, when you have a look at verse 11 and verse 12 and 13, this pointer to this king to come. Remember, David doesn't know who this is. As I say, we can look back at Jesus, but look at these verses. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will establish a house for you. But it also says, God says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Who is this offspring of David who's also going to be the Lord? How does that work? Of course, we can look and see the divinity of Jesus in that uh, as we look back. Let me uh, zoom out. There's a graphic there. We'll leave it on the screen for a bit. We'll see if this is helpful. It's, it's so falls short in so many ways, but let me show you what's happening. Here's Abraham, Genesis 12, and to sum up all the promises that God's given to Abraham, God's saying to Abraham, I want all peoples on earth to be blessed through you. And we have a whole lot of the Old Testament all the way up to, to here now, how that's played out through the nation of Israel. And finally, as the nation of Israel is settled and David is the king, there is a time of peace. God returns to David and he says to David, I'm going to continue that blessing, that promise I've given to Abraham. I'm continuing that blessing. But David uh, it's going to come through you and your line, but I'm going I'm to make it clear some additions. Uh, some additions to that. They're already part of it, but I'm going to make some additions here that that blessing I'm now letting you know is going to come through a king and a kingdom that's going to last forever. So what God's doing with David, these promises going, looking back, Look at the promise I've given to Abraham. Look how that's come true, David. And now, David, I'm going to make you promises. I want you to trust that they would come through. And we, as I said, we can see how that comes true with Jesus. Because Jesus is the king that would come. In fact, Jesus is the one who brings in his kingdom. That's why Jesus goes around saying the kingdom of God is near. Look at the very first verse of the New Testament, Matthew 1, verse 1. What does it say? 
the author, Matthew wants to make it very clear. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. Jesus is he is the one that David was talking about. Or when the angel appears to Mary, telling her that she's going to have a child. The angel says he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. This king that was promised all the way back to Abraham is now promised to David in this passage we're looking at is ultimately the King Jesus. Even the last, cup, uh, the last section of Revelation talks about Jesus in the line on the throne of David. And this son of David is going to bless all the peoples of the earth. That same blessing given to Abraham and now promised through David is going to bless all the peoples of the earth. And in Jesus, he even says in Matthew 16, on this rock, I will build my church. That house that uh, uh, the Lord promised to establish in David's name continues. And Jesus is building it, and that's us. That's the church. That's what Jesus is building, his church of people who are redeemed. This is why the Lord came and he died on a cross for us to make it that our sins don't, are blocked, are taken care of, the price is paid, that they don't block us from this relationship with God, that we can be part of the blessings that God has for us. We get to be a part of the promise. Can you jump back, jump, oh, I'll show you these verses here. Look at what it says in Galatians. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. These blessings come through us, his people, being redeemed and trusting in his promises. So he says, so in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. If you belong to Christ, this blows my mind, if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is mind-blowing. Go back to that big graphic. Uh, If we can, go back one. If we can, that'd be great. Thank you, Phil. What this is saying is God gave the promises to Abraham. We're looking at how he's giving these promises to David. And these same promises are fulfilled in Jesus Through what Jesus has done, we are heirs of these same promises. These promises from thousands of years ago. And these are the promises we can trust in. Now, in the New Testament, there's 1,100 or more promises that we're not going to go through all of them this morning. But to suffice to say, this is God's promise that he has continued to bless his people to become, to, to know a king and be in a kingdom that's going to last forever. That's our certainty of when, of when we put our trust in God's promises through what he's done in us. Now let's zoom back down, because I want to think about how does David respond to this? We've read the passage. Um, we're not going to look at all the verses, just not enough time, but I'll pick on a couple of things in the ways that David responds. First thing David does to this is he prays. He gets down, he's like, oh my gosh, and he prays. He starts talking to the Lord. What a great response to the promises that God gives us. He's talking to the Lord, he's praying. 
he get, I imagine he's, he's blown away. He gets down on his knees. He praises God. He worships God, just like Maddie uh, modeled for us there and, and, and led us through praising God through his prayers. And we see that David is absolutely mind-boggling, blown away, that he is included in God's promises. The fact that God chose him, used this shepherd boy, and, and uses him in, in such a way as God, part of God's promise, it blows his mind. Who am I, sovereign Lord? What is my family that you've brought me this far? And as if that were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you've spoken about the future of the house of your servant, and this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. David is absolutely just awestruck that he can be a part of God's promises. We also then see, probably the other, one of the other things, go back to the passage, there's much more in it, but in verse 25, we see that David gets on board with God's promises. Now, Lord, keep forever the promise you've made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised. David starts praying, if this is your promise, God, I'm going to pray it too. I'm going to pray that your promises will come true. Like when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, you know, your will be done. David's now changed his posture, not can I build your house, but can your will be done? I'm on board with your promises. Uh, keep the promises you've made. Do as you promised so that you will get the glory, that your name will be great forever, not mine. The Lord Almighty is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. I'm on board with your promises. David's response to God's promises say, I want to be a part of that. I want to be on board with what you've promised to do. He aligns himself. He doesn't say, oh God, you've got the promises wrong. He's like, I want to get on board with that. In fact, as you read through 2 Chronicles, one of the other things that David does is he starts preparing for that temple that Solomon would go and build. So his prayer turns to action. He starts and he goes and he starts getting the wood and, you know, getting the warehouses ready and stocking up the bank account and pre-ordering and pre-doing this, getting ready so Solomon could build the temple. He gets on board and he aligns himself to what's God's promises. So here's my question for us as we consider these amazing promises given to David. We've been given promises in Christ. The continuation that God is continually, is going to continue blessing through this king, through a forever kingdom, is going to continue to bless all peoples on earth. How do we respond to those promises? How do we respond when we read our scriptures, when we read the Bible and go, I see what God has promised to do? How do we respond? Are we like David in this prayer where we read it and we go, whoa, I'm going to fully embrace that? Are we blown away that we get to be a part, just like Abraham and David? I don't know if it, for me, it really hit me this, this week. I don't know if I fully comprehend how significant that is. That in Christ, those who trust in Christ are part of those same promises given to David and Abraham. Do we, do I align all my life now to be in line with God's promises, to pray for those promises, to be a part of those promises, to live my life in line with those promises? Or do I do it just to a point? 
Or, as we're going to see next week when we talk about Bathsheba, am I a bit like David? I've heard the promises, but later on in life I get a bit off track and I forget and get distracted. And, um, you know, or am I here this morning and maybe I've never heard these promises. Maybe I don't know anything about the promises of God. I'm, I'm new to faith. Uh, and I'm not really sure what you're talking about with these promises. I'm not really ready to jump on board with these promises till I've got the full rundown. How do we respond to the promises God gives us? Because that's, as I've said, that's really what being a Christian is. I want you to ponder, because sometimes I think we hear these promises and we're like, for me, just me, I, I find this really hard to trust in God's promises sometimes. Because I'm living in an everyday life where I'm not seeing and feeling like I'm part of God's promises. I want you to picture yourself back in the time of exile. So somewhere between uh, David and, and Jesus, and you're living in Babylon. You're a Jewish person, you're living in Babylon, and you're living after the time of the kings, and you're living, you're a Jew, but, and your heritage, there was David and all these kings that went after him, but eventually uh, you were in, your nation was invaded, you were kicked out of your home, you don't have a homeland anymore, so you don't have a kingdom anymore to live in, there's no more kings anymore, and you go, let's have a read through 2 Samuel, and you read these promises of God. I'm going to establish your kingdom, it's going to last forever, there'll be a king on the throne. How does that work, God? Because here I am in Babylon, and there is no kingdom, and there is no king. How are you going to answer that? Is that what it feels like for us sometimes? Here I am in Wollongong. I know, you know, I read the Bible. You can do all these things, but it just doesn't feel like it. Can I really trust your promises? I'm not really seeing you at work in that same way. Does it sort of feel like, do you relate to that? Even uh, in Psalm 89, the psalmist, you know, speaks to that, that to those, you know, uh, speaks into what it was like for those people stuck in Babylon. They're saying, Lord, where's your former great love, which, is in, your, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? How are you going to bring a king? There is no kingdom. There's no king. How are you going to do that? But like those exiles, we too are invited to zoom out we're too invited to look back at how God was faithful to Abraham's promises. And now this morning, as we look at David's promises, there's an invitation to go look at the promises given to David, that he, this blessing is going to continue forever, and it's going to come through a king, it's going to come through a king, bringing his kingdom. And these are promises that are going to last forever. We're invited into eternity with God. But we're invited to keep trusting in his promises. May we do that. How do we respond to God's promises? How do we respond? You know, if we're sick or we're going through a cancer treatment or, or going through this awful time, how do we respond and say, I'm going to keep trusting in God's promises? It means we've got to come, look at God's promises and keep praying them through. These promises can give us great hope when, I'm, when we're going through medical treatments to trust that God is with us, that there is more to it 
that he will be with us, that he promises to not leave us or forsake us. When we see people suffering around us, to go, God is still sovereign over all these things. When we're watching the price of bread, petrol, everything go up, we're like, God, how are you good? How am I going to trust your promises? It's getting really hard. How am I going to trust your promises when, when I'm trying to talk to my friends about Jesus, they just don't care? When the world thinks you're bad, the world thinks you're totally irrelevant, the world thinks you've forgotten, the world thinks you're not even there, and yet I'm still trusting in your promises that you are king, that you are king forever, that you are sovereign. This is what being a Christian is all about. It's about coming into hearing and understanding God's promises, but then it's that choice to say, am I going to align my life to how I want to live or what the world lives, or am I going to do something completely crazy and go, God, you've made promises, and I'm going to believe them, and I'm going to align and keep on aligning and let my life be aligned with getting on board with your promises. That's what being Christian is. That's why we look so crazy, because it's a different step, isn't it? It's a different dance that we're taking. How do we do that? It's a daily exercise, and it just starts with prayer, and it's getting into God's Word. If you are not a, a Christian, if you are not someone who's come into contact with God's promises, we've got Mark's Gospels out the back. Grab one. Start with just reading about Jesus, the guy whose promises are fulfilled, uh, the guy who, who is king, who's brought his kingdom that we can be a part with forever. We can just start with reading God's Word and praying and praying. But for us who have been Christians for a, lot, a while, may we be like David in this prayer, knowing God's promises, embracing God's promises, letting them align our lives. Let me pray. Father, uh, Father, we hear these promises that you gave to Abraham, and then you've come and you've turned up to David and said, David, these promises continue. They're going to continue. And they're going to continue in the short term, but in the longer term, to this king who's coming, this king who's going to be king forever. Lord, you answered that promise by sending Jesus. And Father, those promises continue, that you're going to continue to bless all the world through Jesus. And you promise us, Lord, that we are part of that promise. Father, I pray that you'd help us to trust in your promises. I pray that you would enable us to recognize that you be reminded this morning, you keep your promises. You're going to keep your promises. Lord, may we trust in your promises, not just a bit, but with our whole heart, whole mind, whole life. Help me to do that. Help us all to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen.